You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. We're going to continue in this parable of the sower, which really should be called the parable of the soil, because that's the part that changes through this. Uh, Again, Jesus said that this parable was so important that we're not going to, unless we understand it, we're really not going to get anything he says to us, essentially. I'm paraphrasing. But because the word always comes to us in seed form, always. And we never want to forget that. Even if it has a huge impact when it hits us, when it comes into us, when God speaks to us, we always need to remember it's still a seed and it's going to grow. It's going to produce. And we want to be good ground where that word can produce 30, 60, or 100 fold, right? And so we've talked about in past weeks, good ground has to be made. It has to be fertilized. Rocks have to be taken out, different things. Remember Jesus talked to us about four different kinds of ground. What was the first one? Hard, thank you, hard ground. Okay, guess what? What was the second one? Rocky, rocky soil. Today we're gonna talk about, I'll call it thorny soil. Sometimes we read this as weeds and that's true, but really what Jesus is talking about in this one is where the the seed is sown into soil that is full of thorn bushes that are are beginning to come up. So let's go over to uh, verse 22 in Matthew 13. We're gonna bounce around a little bit today. Um, But verse 22, this is his third type of soil. Jesus says, I'm reading from the Amplified here. As for what was sown among thorns, this is he who hears the word, but, that's, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Here's the word, but the cares of the world, the pleasure and delight and glamour and deceitfulness of riches choke and suffocate the word and it yields no fruit. Okay, so the first thing I want you to notice there is just, this just caught me as I was meditating through this this time was just, it says, he heard the word, but anytime we have that going on in our life, God, I heard what you said, but that's always a red flag right there. That's always a problem. And it's, and it's one thing to say, but I have this question, but how does that work? But show me more of that. That's okay. But when it's, but... I have something else to do, but there's something else going on in my life, but uh, whatever it is, that's a problem. And that was the problem here. Here comes the word, but there are all these thorns and, and weeds and brush already planted in this soil that's going to come up alongside the word. And, and it says it's eventually it's going to choke these things are going to choke the word out. Mark, in his account, over in Mark chapter 4, this is verses 18 and 19 that you have up there on your screen, he gives a little bit different, um, a little bit different take on this, a little more full take on this. So I want to look at this so that we have this. Mark says, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world. Notice this, there's three types of thorns that are mentioned here, all right? Cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, 
and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Every time I come to one of these types of passages where it talks about, um, you know, the other one that I reference a lot is where it says that the traditions of men can make the word of God of no effect in our life. And I always think about Hebrews chapter one. Sorry, I'm sweating a lot today. Um, time to open the windows. It's no longer winter in Gunnison. Yay. Uh, whenever I hear that, I always think about what the scripture tells us that not only was the universe and everything in it created by the word, God breathed all of that out, but, but it says it is upheld by the word. It says over in Colossians that things, everything consists, or the idea is, is held together by the word, by the person of the word and by the word, the spoken word. It is all held together. And I always think of them, you know, trying to dig down into atoms and particles, you know, around atoms and all of that and figure out, you know, what's holding this together? What has this, you know, held together? And, and someday they're going to get there and they're going to be able to see it and there's going to be Jesus. And I think he's going to be saying, I told you so. I, I told you. Everything's held together by me, by my word. But I think about the power of that. I think about the expression of that, the power of that word. And then I think, and a tradition that I would hold on to in my heart, a religious tradition could make it have no effect in my life. You think about the things that God did, that Jesus did by speaking, the miracles that were released and are released through speaking. But, that, but I can make it so that that would have no impact on my life. That, is, that just boggles my mind. And here's another one. We can have these other things crowded into our heart to a point where the word that God speaks gets suffocated, choked out and suffocated in our life. That's just amazing to me. And it's something we, we really need to think through and we need to take seriously. So there's these three primary categories that Mark brings out, cares of this, cares of this world. And we'll talk about what these are coming up. But you know, it's basically worry and anxiety that comes from the world. All right, well, I can't think of a better time in our lives to recognize what that's about than this one right here. There, there are very genuine situations that need to be dealt with. Those aren't the problem. The problem, the biggest problem, are the cares and the anxieties and the fears that those try to shove into the hearts of Christians to suffocate the word. For your personal life, it's not the problem. It's not the challenge that you're having to face. It's not that. It's the care. It's the weight. It's the anxiety. It's the fear. It's the doubt that that thing tries to bring into your life. And right now, the world generates that stuff as a business. The world generates fear and anxiety at, literally as a business. And I don't care, and I'm not putting any of these things down, but you know, I don't care if it's the insurance company. I don't care if it's the uh, people that want to get our votes by telling us they're going to keep us safe. I don't care if it's the news media, certainly it has. And, and I'm telling you, because I have people ask me this kind of stuff once in a while, is it really different today than it was in the 70s? It really is. I mean, the, the way the news is presented to us is totally different. And I'm not saying there wasn't any agenda behind it then. I'm sure there was. I'm not sure we humans can do very much without some agenda. But 
But it wasn't like it is today. It wasn't just just agenda-driven to the point of fabrication and or at least covering the truth. You know, it wasn't that way, but now it is. And so it's getting pretty hard to get to get information and know that anything you're hearing is right, you know? And and it's and in that, for me personally, maybe this is well, I know it's not just me, but it, you have a tendency, I have a tendency then to become cynical about it or to become suspicious about it. And I, I don't trust anything that I read on Facebook. I don't trust anything. And I know some of it is true. Some of it I hear on the news. I'm always sitting back and trying to sift through what might be real in this and what isn't. The world generates fear on purpose. And so for us, that's a big deal because we have to recognize your heart's designed for the word of God and the presence of God and to be out there producing fruit from that. And so it's very important for us to recognize those things are enemies. Those things are coming in to suffocate the word. So it's important. It's important to think about. So he says, uh, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. So again, it's not just riches, okay? It's not just money in this case or material things. It's the deceitfulness that surrounds it, all right? It's, again, it's this it's this spiritual atmosphere that comes with it. That's the problem. And then, and then he talks about the lust for other things or the strong desire for other things. And again, it's not just things. It's what it brings up in the heart. It's what grows in the heart from it. It's the, the strong desire, the, the lust, the passion for things that can choke out your passion for God. All right, now listen to this. If you don't get anything else today, this is pretty important. He says here, um, that those three things, entering in, choke the word. Entering in. Some of your translations say creeping in, which is a really good translation. And when we think about weeds and we think about that type of plant, they do, don't they? They, they take more ground, all right? So think about it. The other types of ground that we've talked about so far, hard ground, stony ground, those are kind of stationary things that resist the entrance of the word, all right? The things we're talking about today will actually expand on the inside of you and they compete with the word for your attention, for your devotion, for your love for God. They compete. These things compete. They're active, they're moving, they're growing. The other ones just try to prevent the seed from coming in, which we have to deal with that too. These actually, these things compete for your affections in life. And your affections in life, my affections in life, they belong to God and they belong to God alone. All right, so it's, so it's really, really important that we recognize that as we look at these, these are sort of a, a different type of animal that we're talking about here. All right. So let's talk a little bit about thorns. The first thing is, and the Passion Translation brings this out, this whole idea of thorns, it, it speaks to a divided heart, okay? So again, these are things that are competing for your love for God. They are trying to take more of your time, your attention, your energy, and your, honestly, your, your love. You can love things more than you love God. It's called idolatry, 
But nevertheless, it's something that will choke out the word's ability to work in your life. All right? So, so it represents a divided heart rather than what the Bible talks about as us having a singular passion for God, for his design and his purpose in our life. Having that singular passion for him. Out from that, all kinds of fruitfulness, all kinds of good things grow. And when we have the, that singular passion for God, out of the character that comes from that, we're able to manage cares and worries that try to get into our life. We're able to manage riches well. We're able to manage where our passions go, what we are desiring and how much of it we're desiring. There's character that comes with having that singular, fo- whoops, <laughs> singular focus for God. So a divided heart, okay, a divided heart is something that, that is being discussed here. Jesus told us to, what, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to us. So, and we're, we need to see this throughout this. this. This is not, a lot of people seem to think that the Bible teaches us to avoid material things altogether. And there have been sects uh, of Christianity throughout history that have taught that, that material things are evil, uh, spiritual things are good. Well, that's really not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us to, to seek God first, to have him at the center of our life, and then with him and through him to manage for the kingdom all the other parts of life, whether it's your family, whether it's your money, whether it's uh, things going on in the world, whether it's reaching your neighbors, whatever it is, we are the church. We are to be out there bringing heaven to earth. We are to be out there bringing the atmosphere and the character and the nature of heaven into the earth. And it has to be growing. The kingdom has to be growing on the inside of us for that to happen. In order for that to happen, we have to have this singular focus. It doesn't mean he's the only thing you ever think about or the only thing you do. In fact, I mean, it's, it's, it's the opposite of that. You, I think when we have that singular focus, God begins to engage us in all kinds of areas, all kinds of things in the earth. He be, <laughs> you guys, sorry. I will not become distracted. He begins to actually engage us with other things. And and so our life actually becomes busy. It becomes full. But when we keep that singular focus, is this making sense to you? We're able to manage it all. We're able to handle it. I always know that in my heart, when something really starts to get on top of me, then I'm spending too much time thinking about that, not enough time thinking about God. Okay? So, this, this whole issue of the divided heart's really important. Secondly, thorns thrive in dry places. And I know we have thistles, they like some water. There are different things. I'm sure, you know, uh, if Charlie from Thailand was here, he'd laugh in my face because, you know, I know there's a lot of thorny stuff grows in jungles, okay? But what the terms that are being used here are talking about a dry land type of situation. And they're talking about, plants that grow big thorns in dry places. Okay, and, and so the idea is that when we have a divided heart, that's, it becomes a dry place where thorns can really thrive. When we are divided, you know, the, the scripture talks about the rain. We sing about the rain of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we sing about the fact Jesus talked about 
uh, drinking the Holy Spirit, about the Holy Spirit becoming a fountain of water on the inside of us. So when our heart becomes dry, we become susceptible to these other things growing. They will thrive in a dry heart. The kingdom of God will not. Okay, does that make sense to you? So the other thing is, if you've ever been around a situation where, you know, you started to have uh, thorny stuff growing up in a certain place, but then the climate changes and you begin to have more rain in that situation, this works either direction, but you begin to have more rain and more rain, the plants will change. And, the, and those types of thorns will die out. And the same thing's true with us. Again, the focus is not get everything material out of my life. Don't, don't think about anything serious because I might have a care or worry. You know, it's not, it's not that pushing that stuff out. It's bringing the Holy Spirit in. It's bringing the presence of God in, letting him saturate us, staying good and wet and soft. And then these things can't grow as well as they do uh, in dry ground. Okay, so the more time we spend focused on God, things of God, okay, the harder it's going to be for these things to grow in our hearts. All right. Third one is that thorns are ever present. Okay, it says he, he received the word, but they were sown among thorns. So the thorns or the seeds of the thorns were all oh, the roots of the thorns. I don't know. It was already there. And you're not going to be able to go. I've had people come and say, pray for me that, you know, there, there just won't be any cares in my life. Well, I guess we can pray, but it isn't going to do any good. This, you, you're living on the earth. These, are, these cares are called cares of this life or cares of the world. Two little bit different contexts there. But, but in either way, you're going to face them. The good news is you were designed to manage them and eliminate them at times with the Spirit of God. You were designed to dominate them, not them design you, but, or dominate you, but, but they are a part of life, okay? Fourth thing is that thorns, they not only hurt, but they, they want to attach themselves to you. That's what a lot of, I've known some thorns in my life, <laughs> having lived in Western Colorado and New Mexico, Everything in New Mexico has a thorn on it. It's just everything has a thorn. And there's so many of them, you know, goat heads are one of the favorites to step on or get stuck in your bicycle tires down there. You know, it's a little thorn. It's a seed. And it loves to stick to you, get carried somewhere else, and get planted there. Okay? The uh, choya was another favorite. You know, some of you are familiar with choya cactus. They, they grow up, they have these kind of slender arms, lots of them. They can get really big and the pieces break off. The pieces of the arms break off. They call them jumping choya because you'd be going along, you flick one with your foot and it'll fly up and stab into your leg. I mean, it just there, you know, you, you run over one with something. I knew a guy. <laughs> oh, this isn't funny. Uh, I knew a guy that was... Uh, coming in for a landing in a hang glider, a friend of ours. And um, it was in a small landing area up right near the foothills of the Sandia. And there was a lot of choya. There were some open areas, but you really had to pick your spot in any of those landing areas up there. And he came down into this one by these little tennis courts. It was a really tight place to land in those days. 
and it was in the evening, and he came down, and he came in, and invariably, all of those, they've got better landing areas now that are out farther. We couldn't get to those with the gliders we had, but, but uh, they all sloped away from the mountain. So you're trying to get down, and the ground keeps dropping away. So downhill landings are always tricky. And they had, you know, they were limited in space, and all the warm air and all the lift is flowing up the mountain. So invariably, you'd work your way down, you know, to these landing areas. There was one where we'd have to come down right over this road, and just you wanted to be able to kick the 25-mile-an-hour sign before you turned on final because you'd always pick up a thermal and get picked up again. And then, you know, you're already in there, and there's wires at the other end on that one. Anyway, um, he was coming down like that, picked up a thermal a little bit, was trying to bleed off elevation, finally came down. He blew into, he landed right in a great big choya, just blew it apart. And he was wearing, uh, he had his down coat on and a sweatshirt. And I'm not sure, I think he had a long sleeve shirt under that and a t-shirt. It was in the summer, but when you get to cloud base at 18,000 feet or whatever, it's cold, you know? So, so he came down and... Uh, and blew into that choya, and he pulled his down jacket off, and the choya, you know, spines were all still stuck in him, and he pulled his sweatshirt off, they're still stuck in him, he pulled off the next shirt, got all the way down to his t-shirt, and then people were picking the, the spines out of him. It's not funny, it was hilarious. But, so, the point is, thorns want to, they want to stay with you, that's the point of the thorn, is to stick in and stay and go with you. So not only are they then going to grow and try to choke out the word in your life, they want you to carry them somewhere and deposit them through your words, your actions, your attitudes, so that they can grow in somebody else's life. So it's bad. It's, it's bad. But these are, these are things. We don't want to pick these things up. And the final thing there on your uh, on the screen is your heart will produce whatever seed you allow to be sown in it. Your heart is made to produce. You are designed this way so that we can interact with God and his nature can grow in us and produce fruit in our lives and our outward, our fruit, our outward actions and decisions and attitudes and all of that will become more and more and more like him. Well, if instead you choose to plant these other things. You choose to feed on the worry and the fear that's out there. You allow, you begin to believe the lies that money will tell you. Okay, you allow passions for other things. God wants you to enjoy life. There's a lot of things. It isn't just about just, you know, just spending time in God's presence and prayer and worship and all that. Yeah, there's a whole life for you that God wants for you. But if we start letting the passion for that and the desire for that override our desire for him, you're going to carry that stuff out. You're going to plant it in other places. It's going to grow in your heart and it's going to suffocate the word. And we've, gosh, we've seen this many, many, many times. People coming in, they're excited. They get born again. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They're walking with God. They're excited about the word. And then something comes up in life in one or more of these areas you know, whether some big heavy weights and cares and anxieties come in and they pick them up or, or whether their business starts to thrive and they allow that to become their whole life, you know, or whatever it might be, they, they pick something like that up and pretty soon it is, it's just like that. It just slowly suffocates the word in their life. Pretty soon God is still there, 
you know? I mean, they're still a Christian, but God and his kingdom and his word are not thriving on the inside of them anymore. It'll, it'll choke it right out. Okay, you getting anything out of this? All right, so these are these three categories. We've already pretty much talked through this. Um, that especially Mark brought out in his, the cares of the world system, okay? It's, that, is, that is literally anxiety that disrupts the mind. Anxiety that you, it disrupts your thinking. It invades your thinking. It's called worry. Worry is taking hold of fear and beginning to imagine what it can do, what it can be, what it's going to do in your life, what your future is going to look like based on fear instead of on what God says. That's what worry is. And the good news is if you know how to worry, and some of us are expert worriers, if you know how to do that, you also know how to meditate God's word because it's the same thing in reverse. You take the word, you take his promise, and you begin to think on it and think on it and speak it to yourself and allow it to paint a new picture about you and your future and what's possible and all of that on the inside of you, okay? So the cares of this world system, it's a continuous flow of concerns, questions, and doubts that play in the mind and ultimately control your actions, okay? A continuous flow of concerns, questions, and doubts. And listen, everybody, again, the world generates this stuff as a business, so if we're just not aware, it's so easy to fall into the habit of worry. The reason they generate this stuff as a business is because fear sells. You will give your money and your attention and your trust to somebody who tells you they can keep you secure or they can fix your future or whatever. They know that fear sells. So we've got to be wiser than that. And when we, if you have worry as a habit, if your family has worry as a habit, if you're you know, your aunts and your uncles. I mean, this is what we do. We get together on Sunday afternoon and we worry together. You know, if that's, if that's your past, and it is for a lot of people, you can be where it stops. You don't have to pass that on to your children. You don't have to pass that on to your friends. You can learn a different way to handle life. All right? You can be aware of, you can be cognizant of issues that have to be dealt with without worry. Okay? Does that make sense to you? All right? You don't have to have this. So, so, uh, cares of the world system. Another, uh, another place, it's called cares of this world. It means cares associated with the age in which we live. Okay, cares associated with the age in which we live. Every age throughout history has a certain number of cares that belong to it. Okay, and we like to think that our age has more cares. I think we just have more access what's out there. The human heart hasn't changed. You know, whether you're worried about whether the, you were going to get enough rain for your crop or whether you're worried about whether the internet's going to work tomorrow, it's still a worry, okay? And it's associated with the age in which we live, you know? And, and we do, it's true. We have a lot more because of technology. I think there are a couple things going on. We have a lot of technology, so we can be more aware of more things that are happening around the world. I'm not sure we were designed for that, honestly. Uh, I think each day has enough cares of its own right in our own life, <laughs> so according to Jesus. But, but anyway, so we do have that kind of access, all right? So that's an issue that you have to manage well, depending on how you handle that. Secondly, we have a lot of wealth. We do. This generation in this country, we've got a lot of wealth. 
we are afforded a lot more time to be worried about a lot more silly things than I think most people ever have. There's some of the things that come up and we get into political wrangling about, and I'm going, really? This is, we have time to think about this? We've got too much money. Well, not that we have too much, but we're not handling it very well. Because if we're worried about some of the stuff that this society is freaking out about, you've got to be kidding me. It's like, we're just, we need, you, need to, you need to have to go out and scratch in the dirt to, yeah, to, to grow your food for a while or go do some mission work in a third world country or something, see what reality is about, you know? So, so there are those issues, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the word. First Peter 5, 7 tells us, cast your cares over on the Lord, knowing that he cares for you knowing that he cares for you. You will never be able to cast your cares over on the Lord until you're convinced that he cares for you. All right, we've got to be grounded in his love, grounded in his care, grounded in the fact that he's actually concerned about the same things that concern us. He's, he's concerned about the little stuff. He's not awake worrying at night, okay? But he, is, he, is, he cares about even the little stuff in your life. He cares about it until you get that in your heart. You're not going to be able to really, it means that word cast means hurl it with great force. Sometimes we need to hurl it with great force. Hurl that stuff out of your life and, and get it and get the word going in your mind. There's an answer you need to have. He'll give you the answer. You can change something that you're doing. Okay. But worrying is not helping you. It's just making us sick and old. Okay. So, um, Remember that, you know, Jesus, when he was talking to Mary and Martha, you know, Mary was sitting at his feet. Martha was running around doing all the work. The work needed to be done. There were a whole bunch of people in their house. But she was so concerned with it that she got angry with her sister, came to God, came to Jesus and said, get after my sister, make her change, you know. And Jesus said, Martha, you are worried about a whole lot of stuff. But Mary's chosen the one really important thing, and I'm not going to take it away from her. That's kind of the point. The stuff needs to get done. You know, at some point, Mary needed to get up and help, but they should have both sat there and absorbed everything he had. There's time to do that stuff later. It's time to do that stuff later. You can't let that stuff um, get on top of you. Okay? So, Mark talked to us about the desire or the lust for other things. I just want to give you this real quickly. That's talking about the attractions and distractions of the age in which we live. Attractions, things that'll just pull you off and take your attention, and distractions, just things to stay busy with, just stuff to stay busy with. I think the Passion Translation says the busy distractions of life. We can, do you ever get, you know, you get down the road a week or two and you realize, man, I mean, I've not had time in the word. I've not had time for this. I've not had time. I'm too busy. Well, then you're too busy. You know, if you're too busy for God, then you're too busy. You need to, you need to address it. Okay. Again, every age has these kinds of things, but um, we just need to watch the ones that are, that are for us. Deceitfulness of riches. All right, we're about to wrap it up with this. This word deceitfulness has two characteristics to it, this Greek word. The first one is deceit. It means it, it lies to you, 
okay, of riches. This is talking about money, material things, all right? It will lie to you, so deceit. The second part is seduction, all right, seduction. It will try to draw you in. It will lie to you. Some of you have known some guys like that. It will try to lie to you and draw you in, right? Um, the interesting thing is here, Jesus warns us here about the deceitfulness of riches. And yet throughout the scripture, in every covenant that God ever made with mankind, including the new covenant, there is a portion of that where he promises increase, specifically in material things. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says that he, Jesus, became abjectly poor, that we, through his poverty, so this was a substitutionary work at the cross, just like healing, just like sin, uh, through his poverty, we might be made rich. And the words there mean abjectly poor and magnificently wealthy, okay? And people say, oh, it just means spiritually. No, it doesn't. All of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 are talking about money and an offering and work and what you do with it, all right? There's no pulling that out. I mean, you can if you want, but it'd be dumb. No pulling that out and making it just say, oh, that just means about sin and I'm supposed to be a nice person. It doesn't mean that. It means God's desire for you is to in, be able to increase in that area. But the scripture makes it clear throughout. We just read one, Deuteronomy 8.18. You know, don't forget God because it's he that gives you the power to get wealth. It's not you. It's not your, your stuff. Um, John, in uh, 3 John verse 2, it says, uh, I pray that you might prosper, and it means prosper, and be in health, and it means be in health, even as or along with your soul prospering. So the idea has always been God wants to build so much character in us that we can manage the wealth of the planet that he put in the planet well and use it for the kingdom to help people, uh, to, to feed the poor, to build. He want, God is into increase and success and that kind of stuff. He's not into greed and all the things, all the negatives that go along with that. So he's saying here, Watch out for the deceitfulness that comes along as you increase financially. Watch out for the deceitfulness that goes along with that. It will, money, material things will lie to you. They will, um, they lie to you in an attempt to get your trust. Money wants you to trust it for your security, for your future, for your children, for your influence, for your power, for your stature. It wants to tell you that it can provide all of that for you. That's a lie. And all we have to do is look around right now. We can see, number one, we've never seen an economy like this just stop one day, few days. What was it? I mean, it was a, just a couple days, you know, a week maybe. Bam! Everything shuts down. Everybody goes home. Nobody's, you know, you talk to Boyd or I, I talked to some other guys that are in the financial world, they're like, well, you know, nobody's ever done this in our, you know, and I don't know if they've ever done this, but not in our lifetime, that's for sure. And, and so that change happened. There were people out here planning, they were invested, they were leveraged, meaning in debt, they were building, they were growing, and boom, everything shut down, they had to make changes. 
there are people out there who got a disease. And it didn't matter how much money they had, they weren't able to overcome the disease. Money can't fix disease. Money can't always, you know, I mean, it can help you go to the hospital and things like that, but they can't always fix you. There are lots of situations, but money will tell you that it can fix all of that and make you popular and make you smell good and make you pretty and everything else. I mean, it lies to us and it has a seducing effect. It tries to draw people in. I want to say this before we quit today. The other end of this and I just got this yesterday, I realized money also lies to us through the poverty mentality. It also lies to us on the other end and tells us every person that has more than you do is evil, they're wicked, they're, you just hate those rich people, you just, you know, you, you work for them and, and you're really glad that, you know, your business is built because they can afford to hire you, but forget that, they're bad, they're evil, they're nasty, you know, and I mean, we've, you know, and we don't know what's going on in people's hearts. We don't know what's going on. And some of you have experienced, I've experienced, I've had, I've had people say, you know, I've, I have, well, I actually have more than one, but I have BMW motorcycles. I've had people say, tell other people, they never say it to my face. Oh, well, you know, he's just, he's just spending all the church's money on BMW motorcycles. I've never spent a cent of the church's money on anything that didn't belong to the church ever, okay, number one. Number two, what they have no idea is I have a brother who I love dearly, who's the best, I have several brothers, but he's the best one, that has been working on these bikes and has a shop and he's been doing it for 50 plus years. He's an expert with them and every one of them I've gotten some outrageous, ridiculous deal on. The next one's actually free of charge. I love you, Bob. <laughs> but, but every one of those came and I have them and I didn't spend, I didn't even spend a bunch of our money on them initially until they <laughs> needed maintenance. Don't ask Karen about it. She doesn't know what she's talking about, okay? But you see what I'm saying? I mean, we've always had better bikes than we should have had. We've, God has brought this stuff along. We've, we've been thankful for it all of our lives. And people will stand on the outside and criticize because you're a preacher. You shouldn't have that stuff. Well, you know, go away. You know, I mean, I just, you know, I love you, but go away. I, but they'll do it with you. We, we do it as a society with people that have more than we do. That's a lie that money tells. It's a lie. And, and it's something we've really got to watch for. We'll get led into judgment and criticism. What do you think that's doing to your heart? When you judge and you criticize these people you don't know, how is that Christian? How is that something we're supposed to be doing? So it'll get you coming or going, but it's seductive. It'll do this. And then we've already talked about this, so I can just wrap it up. Uh, it'll creep in and it'll actually choke out the word in your life, these things. They're active. They will choke out the word in your life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning, Lord. I, especially, I just thank you for the things that you have spoken to us, each of us as individuals. The things that you have highlighted, Lord, about all of this in our own hearts. Places where we have begun to get dry. Lord, we need the rain of your presence. And we set our hearts to... to hear your heart, to spend that time in your presence, to set aside other things and prioritize time with you. Father, in places where these, 
these different desires and passions and bad habits and any of that, Father, habit of worry, any of that has tried to rise up and grow in our hearts. Father, we reject it in the name of Jesus. We reject it. And Father, I I just pray, Lord, that you as the great gardener would come in, dig those things out of our hearts because, Father, every one of us want your word growing and producing fruit in us. We don't want to be unfruitful. We want to be abundantly fruitful. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up. I guess we can do this again since there's somebody to stand up. On the count of three, we're going to say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world and we'll be dismissed. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Bye. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Denison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.